0: So this morning, I'll give somewhat of a review of the instructions. So, resting at ease. Settling awareness into the body. Mindful attention to meet your experience just as it is. Meeting the conditions of the body, the mind, the heart, with a kind attention. Sensing the lower half of the body in connection with the ground, the earth. Feeling the sense contact through the legs, feet, knees. Knowing you've arrived here on your seat. taking some moments to sense other parts of the body, torso, arms. So there's a sense that you're really sitting embodied, grounded in the felt sense of the body sitting. Be helpful at the beginning of practice to also orient to sounds, to hearing. Aware of sounds that come and go, aware of silence. So, inviting in a more spacious, receptive quality of attention. Less. Less doing, more receiving. Hearing and aware of hearing. Resting in this knowing quality of awareness simply knows sounds as they appear quite effortlessly. The same is true with all of our experience, things appear and disappear in awareness. So abiding as awareness, abiding in awareness. And noticing how the breath appears and disappears like sounds. So receiving the sensations of the breath. Noticing the gross sensations, but also noticing the subtle, more delicate movements. The shoulder blades, the abdomen, a tickle in the throat. The movement of the breath in the back body like we're being caressed by the breath. Bringing an attitude of beginner's mind to this sensation, this movement, it's always fresh. Noticing the beginnings and endings of things. Notice the inception of the in-breath, the out-breath. Notice it's fading. What are you present to during the pause? body, sound, space, this connection with the breath to be the anchor, tethering attention to the moment you can always choose to stay more one-pointedly focused on the breath as a way to settle, to gather, to unify the mind. Always an option to stay with that simplicity. Or you can expand the field of awareness, including the full range of body sensations, tingles, Pressure, tension, aches, warmth and coolness, the pain. So, when strong sensations arise and call the attention, letting the awareness explore, feel, and sense into those sensations, knowing their nature—conditioned, transient—noticing your relationship to these th- these things. Is there contraction, is there reactivity, is there aversion, (coughs) is there fear? Noticing how we can add to our suffering through reactivity. Does it lead to grasping and desiring something else? noticing how if we reside firmly in awareness, we can be with the most intense physical sensations, pain, discomfort. And there can still be a sense of ease, non-reactivity, cessation of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty. the liberating quality of awareness. Being present to emotions, feelings, that come and go like clouds, like storms, like mist. the moods and the mind states that blow through this house. Noticing as you're sitting right now, what's the quality of the heart? Is there a mood or a feeling that goes unnoticed? Is there an emotion that's fueling your thoughts, obsessive thinking. Is there an emotion that's clouding your perception? Can you label, can you simply name what's present here right now in the heart? Often quite subtle, ease, peace, stillness, calm, boredom, curiosity, contentment, disdain, happiness, melancholy, becoming familiar with the emotional states, sensing them, feeling them physically as they manifest in the body. The body is such a great barometer for what's happening in the heart. And can we bring a kind, compassionate attention those states when they're difficult. Knowing at times, oh, this is suffering, this is pain, this is the first noble truth. Suffering is like this, sadness is like this. Grief is like this. Anxiety is like this. Meeting these things just as they are. No need to fix, analyze, judge. Simply allow. Notice how they unfold, change, morph, pass away. always returning to awareness. Notice the difference between when you're simply with the raw data of your experience, sound, sensation, feeling. And when there's a layer of ideas, concepts, judgments. Noticing the distinction between thinking about the breath or your feelings, and actually sensing them directly. Noticing the thought tendencies. And the attention gets absorbed in thought. Where do you go? What are the habits of mind? To the past, more to the future, to planning or to reminiscing. Labeling the tendencies of thought to allow some disidentification, some quicker recognition, some ease of release from the fascination with thoughts. Of the Chinese poet Han Shan, if you look for the truth outside of yourself, it gets further and further away. If you look for the truth outside of yourself, it gets further and further away. Is there any questions this morning about your practice, instructions, things we've said? Yeah, please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. So the question or comment was about um, doing metta practice as she was walking down to the gate to the people driving in the cars and to a hawk she saw overhead and then she, the thought came, well what about the mouse? I wanna send metta to the bird of prey and to the mouse and what about that? And it's a common dilemma, you know, how can we send metta to all beings if, a lot of beings need to live off other beings to survive. Um, and this question came up when I was uh, teaching a meta course uh, last year at uh, Inside Meditation Society and it was very perplexing for one woman. And as she was taking a, a walk that morning, she uh, looked up and there was this, uh, like a waterfall of feathers coming down from a tree. And she looked up and there was a hawk eating a bird. And in a way that there was her answer. She wants both to be happy, and life often has to take life to survive. And yet the heart still wants both to be happy. So it's a paradox. There's not actually a rational, logical answer to it. The heart wishes everything to be well, even if something is dying, even if one is thing is eating another thing. It still wants life to be happy. It's just a natural pull of the of, of the heart and and we also have to rest with the paradox that that means some beings will suffer inevitably as we all well as we get old and get sick and die so um, but the heart somehow can hold that paradox uh, it 's bigger than the mind 's breaking up of what it would like and right and wrong and so um, sit with that and the the other comment was about compassion and pity pity is. Uh, it's talked about in Buddhist psychology as the near enemy of compassion in that it feels close. It feel there is some movement of the heart, there's some care, but it's, it has a distancing quality. It has a like, oh, that's terrible for you over there, Like, but don't come too close to me. Just keep it, you know, back a little. Um, and it's a way that we don't fully let the suffering in. And, and so the movement is to really to see what the what the up what the resistance is, what the block is to actually fully letting this in. You know, to feeling it, to really taking the, the person, your yourself, or the suffering, really letting it kind of just state and be felt and feel the ouch of it. So Yeah. Okay. Yes, at the back. Yeah, we're recording uh, most of, the, yeah, we're, co- we're recording the morning instructions, so for sure, yeah. Yes? Um, I have a question about right effort. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Can you say a little more about where the question is coming from? Like what are you noticing for yourself in your effort and challenge with that or curiosity about that? I notice sometimes uh, there's an element you want to force things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big topic, and you know, one of the Buddha's analogies for it was um, he was co- he came across one of his uh, monks who used to be a musician who was was getting really tight uh, in his practice, very willful, a lot of effort, but the, the kind of effort that leads to just contraction and headaches and. And he said to himself, "Remember when you are a musician and you played the lute, you know you, you if the strings were too loose, it didn't work, if the strings were too tight, it didn't sound right, so there has to be a balance you know and with balance we're never we're rarely in the middle of balance. we're usually you know ebbing and flowing from too much effort, sometimes gets a little tight, a little controlling a little forced, so we relax and and then we go to the other side and we start spacing out and snoozing and taking naps and so." Uh, it's a dance. These, 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 the, the balance of various qualities in meditation is an ongoing dance and we just learn through our experience and we learn we also have to m- really meet the conditions of where we are. So sometimes you get in this, in this sitting and you're really really tired and you know you have to summon up a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm or motivation to stay awake. You, know, you have to stand which requires a certain amount of effort. Sometimes you get to the sitting and you're naturally quite bright and, you and that kind of overzealous effort would just cause a lot of t- contraction and um, maybe in that moment you're pretty balanced. Um, so, Or there's a lot of energy and you need to bring a kind of calming, stilling, quieting energy, quiet effort. So I think, it, I think what helps is, is tracking where you are and responding appropriately. So there's no one, one right way. And even through a single sitting, you may start, often what happens is we start with a lot of energy and brightness and then the energy wanes and then the concentration and the mindfulness wanes. And, and though at, at that time is when we need to bring up more effort. We need to refocus uh, or recrystallize the attention on the object. We need to summon some interest. Uh, and then when that's reestablished, then, then we can back off that effort so it's kind of like driving a car around a you know hilly terrain we don't just put the pedal to the floor we you know, we adjust and we listen and we modify and we go down uh, you know a dead end and that's like oh that no, no, that's not working so it's really listening. One thing you can play with uh, that I was going to mention i didn't in this in this instructions is to play with taking your attention close to the object and backing off from the object. So t- getting close means sort of intensifying the attention and the precision and the effort, uh, which is a certain kind of energy, and, and learning also to back off and to sort of rest more in a spacious awareness. So you can, that, that's a very immediate way of playing with effort. Is that speaking to your question at all? Yeah, okay. You know, like a lot of these questions, there's no simple answer. And, um, but I think the point about attuning to where you are and responding appropriately is what arises out of mindfulness. Wise action, wise effort arises out of wise mindfulness. I saw a hand back there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sentimental and yet we know we have people we have the Dalai Lama who's been able to do that with China and destroy his culture virtually we have Thich Nhat Hanh who's been able to do that with us who overran his culture now um, how did they get there? <laughs> <laughs> Let me call H.H.'s press secretary. Hold on a I, can't, I have no idea how they got there, frankly. <laughs> the oh, yeah. So the question, did everybody hear the question? Well, I'll repeat it anyway. So the question's about uh, she was doing matter for Joseph Stalin and Charles Manson and feeling somewhat phony and wondering how people like the Dalai Lama, who's managed to really develop an incredible compassion for the Chinese and for and Thich Nhat Hanh, who's developed the same loving quality to Americans uh, how they got there and um, I honestly say I can't don't have a clue from one perspective you know I don't know you know some people definitely come into this world with a more well developed heart and that may be true for them I don't know but mostly how they got there and that's certainly true for the Dalai Lama is practice you know he talks about how much you know he practices four or five hours a day every day before he goes to do his government duties and his whatever duties he has flying around the world in conferences. So, um, you know, these practices of metta and compassion and other brahmi-viharas, they're incredibly powerful. And they do transform the heart. You know, I see that in my own experience in small ways. And um, so they do, you know, I I don't think it's just those practices. I think there's also a lot of insight required you know insight to see both the painfulness and the illusion of separation uh, helps open the heart helps develop that sense of connectedness um, but yeah, I think a lot of it does come down to practice and also I think the you know this the, the seeds of compassion is to really feel the suffering you know and I, and I hear stories of when the Dalai Lama meets refugees who recently fled from Tibet which he does I think at least weekly if not in the past daily he hears their stories of torture and abuse and oppression and he weeps he weeps he weeps you know he really you can you feel he get he feels the suffering so he this is not the sense of pity but he really takes it in and that transforms the heart into compassion and the, 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 where the wisdom helps is it helps is it supports that transformation turning towards compassion and not towards hatred and retribution and other things that just cause more suffering. So I think it's a combination. You know, why it's often spoke about this practice being two wings of a bird. We cultivate both wisdom and compassion. So, you know, you know maybe you know, 30, 40 more years of practice and, you know... I don't <laughs> Or if you practice twice as hard, <laughs> and we do what we can, you know, and and it's good to know when it's phony, when it just feels like this is this doesn't feel real, uh, and then I'd say choose people who are closer to home, choose people who there's, where there's a real active nitty gritty challenge. That's where that's where we do our work. So you choose some of the more difficult people in your life that you have to meet every day at work or in your neighborhood. Or in your house <laughs> and that 's where you get to work with it you know and they piss you off it's they like something to say at breakfast and you go practice and you know and we that's the that 's the juice that's where we you know that's where we transform so good luck <laughs> so some announcements today um, teaser is going to be beginning meeting having one-on-one meetings with people and there's a sign up sheet on